Welcome to the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast, powered by Jetro. Each week, we bring extremely valuable accounting and tax tips specific to small business owners. You will be on your way to growing your business and putting more money in your pockets. Here's your host. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. I am your host, Mike Jezoshek, and this episode is how do I set up an LLC or corporation? And this is actually the third post in our Starting a Business series. And as we've kind of talked about in this series, really this stemmed from a conversation I had a bit ago with a brand new business owner. They were just completely lost, not kind of knowing where to start. They've always been an employee. And it got me thinking is there's probably a lot of other people out there that are in the same situation. So we ran a post about this in our free Facebook group, which if you haven't joined yet, go to Facebook, type in small business tax secrets. Uh, feel free to answer a few questions and then join the conversation. But we asked, a, we put a post in there to say, if we did a series on what do you need to know is your first kind of starting out a business. So starting a business series is what came from that. There was overwhelming support. And so here we are. So, so far we've talked about kind of an introduction to a business owner. What are some just kind of high level top things you need to know about as, as being a business owner? And then last week we talked a little bit about, or we started that conversation about, should I stay a sole proprietorship? Should I organize as an LLC or corporation? And we had our uh, preferred attorney, Andrew M. Ayers on last episode. And now we're going to take that just a step further. And so we have Andrew back for this episode. And, and this episode is going to be about how do I set up an LLC or corporation. So Andrew, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. And I think this is a a key point because last week we talked about, should we stay a sole prop? Should we start to incorporate our business? And I think a lot of people might've went down the road and said, yeah, it probably makes sense to incorporate my business. We're starting to generate good income and, and, and the business is starting to churn. But now they're saying, okay, now what the heck do I do? And, you know, I, I got this idea of I want to incorporate what are kind of those first steps? And so that's exactly kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So I'll, I'll kind of leave the floor to you, Andrew, to uh, get started on kind of those steps as a, as a new getting ready to set up an LLC or a corporation. Sure, absolutely. And you know, because I'm a lawyer, we always have to have disclaimers. So the disclaimer I'm going to give for everybody on this is that every state is going to have its own filing procedures. And you're going to want to make sure you know them ahead of time. So we're going to talk generally so that no matter where you are in the country or in the world, if you're going to be setting up a corporation or an LLC, you at least know the steps. But once you know the steps, you're going to want to work with a professional like Mike, work with a lawyer, work with somebody locally who can make sure that you get uh, the right steps taken care of and the filing procedures for your state. Um, So the first thing you're going to want to think about is what are you going to name your business? Um, and this is a bigger consideration than most people think because you have to make sure that that business name is not taken yet. You know, you're not going to become um, Apple Trucking Company because Apple Computers is going to have something to say about that. So when I work with uh, new business owners, the first thing I tell them to do is find at least three different possibilities uh, because, you know, that name that you've got your heart set on, you think you've been the one, you've been having this bouncing around your head since you were 15, and then you go to find out that there's already four different companies. And I've been involved in lawsuits where you have companies that use just one of the same words. They're in completely different industries, but whoever started using that word first sues the newer company, and then you're spending a lot of money on lawyers when all you had to do was spend an extra five or ten minutes on your business name. Um, It's not necessarily a legal analysis, but one thing I would suggest to you is get get a name that's easy to pronounce. Um, you know, you you want something that rolls off of people's tongues so that they can find you easily and they know your um, they know your name. 
And when you when you come up with your three possibilities, you should check your state for the name availability. Uh, most states, it's very easy. You go to the Department of State Corporations Division, and they usually have a name search. And you can put in the word or the words you're thinking of. And usually there's a drop down that says either contains or is the same as. And they can show you all the companies that have that uh, name or have used it in the past. And for example, if you have one that's been used in the past, you may see that it's a dormant company, which means it's no longer active. And you want to look at their corporate record, and maybe they haven't used that name since 1982, in which case you may be able to use that preferred name. Um, you'll just need to clear it with the state before you do it. On the federal level, which means kind of throughout the entire country, you want to look at you know, trademarks. So if you go to the USPTO.gov, they have something called TESS, T-E-S-S, the Trademark Electronic Search System. And that will allow you to put in the words that you're thinking of using to make sure nobody's trademarked. Um, again, just like somebody's suing you over a name, if you're going to create this lovely logo um, and then you find out it's trademarked by someone else with a copyright on it, you're going to have uh, a big legal bill coming your way. And so what's interesting is uh, here in my office, there's a company that has their name on the side of our building and they moved in and they installed this beautiful, beautiful sign about 25 feet high. And then three weeks later, they got hit with a trademark copyright suit from a jeweler who said this little symbol that's in your name infringes upon my jewelry trademark. And sure enough, in the end, they settled, but had to take down this beautiful 25-foot-high sign and then pay to have a whole new one put up. And you know the owners are very nice, and but you know you see them in the lunch area and go, what, what happened? And they go, we just we, we never cleared it. We never thought about that. And so you want to make sure you have that because you know, I can't even tell you how much money they must have spent in a trademark and copyright fight over this little small, it wasn't even one of the letters in my name, it was just a little part of the symbol. And then what goes on with that is also check your domain names. Um, again, you want to have a domain name that's easy to pronounce, it's easy to type in. Uh, mine's already a little bit long. Um, you know, I, I wish I could have had airslaw.com, but somebody beat me to that. So if it's possible, check and make sure your domain's available. You can always do redirects um, to a different site if you want, but you want to make sure you have a nice, easy domain name that you can use for your marketing. Yeah, and just a comment on that, I think a choosing a name is also a big thing because if you choose a name that's too close to another company or very close to another company, you also run into the issue of, of people might get you confused. Um, and we've had this issue at our accounting firm directly. Um, our, our accounting firm is, is Jetro and uh, our website's Jetro Tax. But there's this other company called Jetro out there somewhere. And, and what they do is they do um, like cafeteria uh cafeteria services. So they'll come into a cafeteria, they're a, a business and they'll put their own cafeteria in there, run the lunch and everything for that business. And, and I can't tell you, we used to get probably three people a day, uh, people that were contractors working for this other Jetro company. They were looking to get paid. Um, they like, I didn't receive my paycheck this Friday. And so we've had conversations like that where, it's, where, where there is some confusion on what that company is. So I think that's big. Um, I'll give you another example. My in-laws own a, a print shop and uh, they had their print shop was called InstiPrints. Uh, down the road, there was a company that did the same exact thing called InstaPrints. So instead of Insti, it was Insta. Uh, they didn't have any legal issues, at least at, at that point. Uh, but what they did have was a lot of confusion. Uh, there would be a, a, a TV commercial on one of the companies and they'd go to the other company because they, 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 were, so, they were so similar. So that's one thing I would say is recommend as well is, um, you know, you want to make sure that First off, you don't want to be confused. If another company screws up, you don't want to kind of be 
putting the bill on, on on that air that they make because your name just sounds too similar. Well, and you also have to watch if you're the new one coming to the market. So I recently did a trademark case where my client used the a similar name more recently than this, the person who sued them. However, my client had done such a better job in the business that when people got confused, everybody went to my client. And mm-hmm. so then the older business sued and actually they lost in court. We won the case because, you know, the local news anchor in town was talking about my client. Um, you'd go to workshops and seminars that were put on by my client. She had literally taken over the trademark from the older business because she had become more popular. So you have to realize that if you have a very similar name, you could be in for quite a fight, um, especially if someone's been using it uh, before you got there. Yeah. Makes complete sense. Um, once you've checked uh, your name make sure you've got it, the next thing you'll want to look at is who's going to own your company. Um, you know, are you going to do this on your own? Are you going to have partners? Um, if you're going to have family members, a lot of people will start a business with their family, which is a good idea, but you have to remember there's family dynamics that go with it. So if you start a business with your older brother, who's used to getting his way from growing up and every day, it's always been his way or the highway, but you think you're going to be the one running the business, you may find those family dynamics will bleed over into your business. And then if somebody needs to have a professional license, that's kind of a key consideration in setting up your business. So I've worked with architects and engineers, and depending where you are, states have certain rules that, for example, a licensed engineer has to own in New York at least 75.1% of a professional company that does engineering and architecture. So if you have, in that case, we had three partners, the licensed professional had to own 75.1%. The other two had to share the other 24.9%. Now, these are three childhood friends who grew up together and they start this business and they're all going to split everything one-third, one-third, one-third. That's fine and dandy, but the state of New York says the ownership structure has to be favored towards the licensed individual. So they can't really be one third, one third, one third. This is something they didn't know. They had worked with a prior attorney who just said, yeah, no problem. You set up your company at one third. And then they came to me and said, Oh, we, you know, when there, when an issue came up, it can't be one third, one third. And the court could actually throw out their company and saying it's invalid because, and throw out their corporate documents because they couldn't agree to contravene the statute and have everybody do a straight one third. So you know, who you're going to own your business with seems like a quick and easy answer, but there can be much deeper considerations. Yeah. We ran into that issue as well with an attorney where we had an attorney and then we had a, a partner that was going to help fund, you know, the start of an, a law firm. And uh, we ran into a similar issue where uh, the state that they were operating out of had to be owned by an, an attorney. You couldn't have non-attorney partners in there. And so the, the key thing here is to, that if, if it's a professional license you're operating out of, um, check with your state because every state, and, and we kind of talked about this, Andrew gave that disclaimer at the beginning that every state's going to be different. Some states might allow it, some states might not. So make sure you're checking directly with your state on that professional license piece. And Andrew, I get this question a lot, and I think that we'll just kind of, and this might be a little too deep, but we'll, I'll mention it quickly, is that a lot of times uh, I get a, a business owner that comes in and it's a, it's a husband and wife, and let's say the wife is starting a business, and the wife will say, well, you know, should I put my husband on there? He's not, nothing to do with the business, isn't going to operate, or anything like that, but they're married. And so the question is, should I put my husband on the organization structure as a partner, a 50-50 partner on that business? Yeah, and you absolutely can do that, um, but you know you have to realize what you're giving to your partner. Then, um, and this, you know, we're talking more about formation today, but that point goes to the importance of having operating agreements for your business. 
Um, and so a lot of times what I've seen is, let's say three people, three friends are operating a business and one of them goes through a divorce. If they have an operating agreement, it'll say what happens to that share of the business so that it doesn't automatically get divided in the divorce. But if you don't have any kind of agreement, then you're stuck with the divorce judge coming in saying, wait a second, this person's entitled to this amount of money. And now if you have a husband and wife like that and you don't set up your company correctly, you just you, know, you, you just pay legal zoom and pay your filing fee and then never do anything, your entire business can be thrown upside down in a divorce. And that company that you were just going to throw your husband on for the heck of it now ends up being 80% your husband's because he shows some divorce judge that he's really the one, he believes he's the one really working at the business. He says it's his idea. He was the one doing it all. You know, you're going to be offended, but if that judge says, yeah, he was doing it. You could actually lose your business to your spouse because you didn't properly form your company and set up all your agreements. Yeah, that's a great point. And also from the tax, from a tax standpoint, I also say we really need to look at kind of what your situation is and what, what are some of those more advanced things that we might want to do in a tax planning. Uh, and this comes up at payroll too. Should I put my husband or put my wife on payroll in our business? And, and a lot of times it's like, well, that doesn't really make sense. From a tax standpoint, you might actually be hurting yourself by adding them as a partner when they have nothing to do with the business or adding them on payroll when they're not working in the business. In other cases, it does make sense. So I think that's kind of a case by case scenario where I would say traditionally, uh, just generally, and, and I don't like to do things in general, but generally we'd say, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense to do that if they're going to have nothing to do with the business. But uh, in some cases, it, it, it might make sense. Sure. Yeah. And then after you've chosen those owners, you know, the next step, and this is where you're going to talk to Mike, you're going to talk to me, is what kind of corporate form. Um, so the most common thing I run into is, Somebody has listened to a podcast or read a blog and they come into my office and say, I want an escort or I want an LLC. And I say, okay, well, why are we doing those particular forms? I mean, first of all, as Michael tell you, escort is not a form of a company that's a tax election, but that's where people tend to show up that I've heard about this or I have to have that. Um, but you need to work with a professional to make sure you get the right form. Uh, we've talked in a previous episode about um, some advantages and disadvantages of a sole proprietorship. Um, there could be a partnership if uh, you're going to work with other owners or work with family members. Um, the most common distinguishing uh, forms we work with are corporations versus LLCs. Um, and this is where it's very important for me in my practice to talk to someone like Mike, because I have an idea from the legal standpoint of whether it should be a corporation or an LLC. But there's also a tax piece that can be very important. You know, is it just going to be you? Is it going to be you know, a sole member of LLC? Are you going to have a bunch of employees with a payroll issue? Are you going to look to go public down the road? So when you're looking at comparing something like a corporation and LLC, you need to make sure that you've got all the important players in the room asking the right questions because your attorney is going to ask questions A, B, and C. Your accountant's going to ask X, Y, and Z. And you know, I hate to tell you this, if you do that in two separate calls, you often get two different answers because your accountant's going to ask what the accountant wants to know. The attorney's going to ask what the attorney wants to know. But there is an overlap somewhere, and there is a there is a solution to all this. But you're going to get different answers from an attorney and an accountant, um, and that's just the nature of the way we all approach our problems. Yeah, and that's kind of what we talked about last last episode. Is where we talked about when you have these conversations, and you're running into this this organization structure. I always recommend getting everybody on the same line. Uh, main reason being is that uh, your accountant and your attorney can talk about. They can ask their questions and then take both of that information and put it together. And so a lot of times if Andrew's asking a question on the legal side and I'm asking a question on the tax side, they're going to produce two different results. 
But if we together can jump on a call and understand, see both of those questions, we're like, oh, yeah, I get it now. This is going to be the right entity structure for you. So uh, as you're paying professionals to help set things up, I always recommend um, getting them on the line together. Um, if you have a professional that you're working with that doesn't want to jump on with your attorney or something like that, I'd probably recommend going with somebody else. Uh, these, uh, when you're working with a professional, they're working for you. They're, they're doing this work for you. And so they want to have the best interest in you, which is going to be involving different parties and different important people and different advisors to you in a call to make that final decision so that you're not stuck making that decision. Andrew tells you one thing, I tell you another thing, simply because we haven't talked and we don't know the full situation, um, you get stuck in a situation where you're now making that decision on what you might do. And the thing about setting up a, co a company is that traditionally, once you set it up, that's kind of where your company goes from there. Uh, if you go 10 years down the road and we're like, man, I, I really should have set it up this differently. Sure, there's some things that you can do and, and, and there might be some work there that's going to cost you some money and things like that and maybe cost you some taxes and complicate things. Um, but it's important to set this up correctly from the beginning because that's where the business is going to go from there. Yeah, and then there's two other forms that you know I'll talk about briefly, but these are really getting a little more into the weeds. Like the first one is a business trust. Um, and if you're interested in the business trust, you probably need more than a podcast episode. You know, you need to definitely speak to an accountant or an, and an attorney and make sure you understand what a business trust is. Um, because that's kind of an, and so I also do estate planning and that's um, really more of an advanced estate planning tactic that we use to use a trust to own a business. Um, and then finally, there's professional companies um, we talked about before with the owners. If you have licensed people, doctors, lawyers, um, ar architects, engineers, you may need to set up what's called a professional company. So for example, my law firm is a PC because I'm a licensed attorney. And if you're getting to that point, you definitely want to talk to an attorney to make sure that you're getting all of your licensing requirements in line and that you have the right ownership structure. Yeah. And, um, we, and we talk about the, the type of form. Usually, you know, most of the people we're talking to just starting out a business, kind of that small business area, we're looking at either an LLC or a corporation. And, and kind of like Andrew mentioned, there's, there's different reasons on why you would choose one or the other. Um, more often than not, we see people doing the LLC route in our business, but that doesn't mean that it's the right, the right structure for everybody. And so again, that's, I think that's the key thing is that as you're getting started here, take some time, get that entity structure set up correctly from the beginning, talk to the advisors about what makes sense so that, you know, as you're starting to grow your business and go down that road, you know, you already have that solid foundation and you're not five years later having to backtrack and try to fix the things that you might've screwed up at the beginning. Yeah, and Mike's done a good job of kind of talking about the importance of different professionals. And so one of the things that I've always you know, tried to explain to my business owners is that you need a team. And we call it trusted experts, um, authorities, and mentors. So you need a tech person. You need an accountant like Mike. You need a lawyer. You need a financial advisor, which is something that business owners don't always think of. But you have your personal finances. You have your business finances. But there's a lot of overlap between them. Um, and your accountant, your lawyer can set up certain things and give you ideas, but a good financial advisor can really take you to that next level to make sure you're taking advantage of everything. You know, are you making sure that you've got uh, a 529 account for the kids on the personal side, but are you making sure you're getting enough money on the tax side so you can take deductions for daycare expenses? You know, you work with a financial advisor talking to your accountant so you can get the best out of that. And then one that's very important, and I think, you know, a podcast is a good example of this is make sure you have a strong marketing team as well. There's so many options out there these days as far as 
you know, how you can market your business and you don't have to, you know, buy Super Bowl ads like Coke and Pepsi. You can often do it at a much more on a grassroots level, but that marketing team will really help your business grow. Um, and then finally, make sure you have mentors. Um, there's almost always someone who's been there before you and you can spend hour after hour reinventing the wheel or you can talk to someone who says, oh, sure, you need help, talk to Mike, he'll take care of your accounting. Oh, you need a lawyer, yeah, talk to Andrew, he can help you with that. Those mentors are, you know, priceless in what they can add to your business. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, don't always reach out and take that step. And that's really a step that can help your business, you know, catch fire quickly. Yeah. And this is, again, what we talk about is it's important to get this team together on the same page right from the beginning of your business. And so uh, and all, everything that Andrew kind of mentioned here, I would recommend getting them together on that on that, on that that call. And now you sure you might not need a technology uh, expert or a, a marketing expert on deciding if you should be an LLC or corporation, but at some point down the line, especially that financial advisor piece, if you're looking for advice, if you're saying, what type of retirement account should I open up? What type of this should I do in my business? You're going to want to have, make sure that your financial advisor, lawyer, and accountant all know the full piece of the puzzle and that they're making that decision for you. Again, if you ask an accountant what type of retirement plan you can set up, I'm going to tell you what type of retirement plan you should set up based on the tax savings potential. If you ask a financial advisor, they might give you a completely different answer based on what they know about your financial picture that as an accountant, I might not know all about. And so that's where we think it's key to always get your team together. And, and I think you, you hit it on the dot there as far as on the mentor side, Andrew. Uh, we talk about this all the time on the podcast. As you're starting a business out, there's people that have done this before, you know, unless you're starting some type of, you know, new rocket ship that's going to the moon. And now we kind of have someone that has at least started that process as well. But unless it's something way out there, there's more than likely someone that has walked your line before. Reach out to them, find that mentor to know, hey, if someone's made a bunch of mistakes in their career, someone has done this before, why not be able to learn from those mistakes so that as you're starting your business, you can avoid kind of that eight years it took for them to, to figure out those mistakes you can shortcut that for your business. Absolutely. And once you've got everything together, you know, the last step for incorporating your business is simply filing. So the most important thing you want to do, and we kind of hit at the top of the episode, is figure out what state um, you're going to file in. And you have to understand that there are very special rules. So people will come to me and saying, I want an LLC in New York. Well, okay, but if you're going to incorporate your LLC in the city, there's a publication requirement and that can cost you thousands of dollars because you have to publish a new LLC in a newspaper. But a professional will tell you, you can actually set up your LLC upstate New York, put it in the local paper for like 50 bucks and then down the road, move your corporate headquarters down to Manhattan. So you get that Manhattan company you wanted, but you don't pay the $2,500 to advertise in the New York times. Um, if a, a very common question I get is, can I have an LLC that's anonymous? Um, people have usually read a blog or, you know, heard a podcast about that. You can do it, but you need to speak to a professional about where to do it. Um, people think that Delaware is automatically an anonymous LLC, but there are ways that information is filed with the state. What I found is that to get true anonymity, you would look at New Mexico. However, there's still caveats to how New Mexico has it. And it may, may or may not be what's best for your business. So you need to examine whether or not you really need that anonymity. Um, when you're setting up your filing, you'll need an agent. Most states will require that you have an agent located within the state. Uh, you file an article, Articles of Incorporation, which sounds like a fancy document, but it's really just usually one or two pages saying who the owners are of the business, what the address is, and who the agent is. Um, for me and for my clients, I always use a corporate service because what they will do is do the filings for us and then give us a nice black binder where we can keep all of our corporate records in one place. 
And then the last piece that's pretty easy, but sometimes your accountant will do it for you or you can go to the IRS, is to get an employee identification number, an EIN. And that really adds that legitimacy to your business. Your business now has its own tax ID number. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think when we talk about all these types of items, one of the top things that comes up is, you know, should I op- should I open my business in the state that I operate in or should I do something like Delaware, Wyoming and New Mexico? And from a tax standpoint, this this question comes to me all the time. Uh, they, they read something where they start up a, a Delaware company, but they're operating out of California. And they're like, well, I don't need to op- I don't need to file a California tax return because I'm in Delaware. And what we always tell those people is that, you know, wherever your company operates out of, you still have to be a foreign entity there. So if you organize your business in Delaware, you organize your business in Wyoming, but you operate everything out of California, you still need to file a foreign entity in California. So you're paying your registration fees in Delaware or Wyoming or wherever it might be. And now you're also paying foreign fees in the state that you're operating out of. So that's just something I wanted to make people aware of is that uh, from a tax standpoint, you're going to have more fees. You're going to have more potential there. So we want to be thinking about that from the beginning is, does it really make sense to to start a, a company in one of these states, even though we have to still file as a foreign entity? And that's where I would always say, talk to an attorney. If you, if you believe that that's the correct route for you, talk to an attorney to make sure legal wise that makes sense. From a tax standpoint, I would never advise someone to do that because you're st- now you're paying multiple fees. But from a legal standpoint, there might be reasons that you might do something like that. Yep, absolutely. And that's where that attorney is going to hop in and work with your accountant, as we talked about with that team, to get that best structure. So you know, don't go with some general legal Zoom page that tells you you have to do Delaware because you know, I'll tell you, back in law school, that's what we learned. Everyone set up their company in Delaware, and that was the place to be. Well, I went to law school a while ago, and those some of those rules have changed, and some of these other states have been competing for business, and they've made it very profitable for companies to move to other states. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into choosing which state, and that's where those professionals are going to come in and help you. Yeah. So uh, this has been a great episode, kind of going through that line of now you want to set up an LLC or corporation, kind of what are those steps that you want to take? If you're looking to, if you're ready to take that next step, you want some help, you want some t- attorney to kind of walk you through that, definitely read out, re- reach out to Andrew. We're going to put a link in the show notes to his website and contact information. Uh, but again, today we kind of talked about uh, first thing you need to do is choose a name. Uh, Andrew kind of recommend choosing three p- possible names so that we're making sure that we have different variations when we're going to organize there. Next thing you want to do is choose your owners. Who's going to be the owner of this company? Is it just you? Are you having partners? Is family members going to be part of this? Um, and also to think about there is, is like professional licenses, making sure that if you are an entity that needs a professional license, that you're staying protected there. And then choosing the form, whether you're going to operate a sole prop, a partnership, corporation, LLC, um, or some other items. Andrew talked about the importance of getting your team together, get your team ready. I think that's a key thing to also get them all on the same page. And then, of course, filing with the state. So um, choosing a state that you're going to file in, um, choosing an agent who's going to be the agent on the record, the articles of incorporation, and then getting that EIN, which is basically your social security number for your business. So it's your employer identification number, which is your uh, a number specific to that business, which is important for payroll and things like that. Yeah, and actually, I think one thing we didn't discuss but is important for people to know is that these things can be done quickly. So we think of like setting up a corporation as a big, long, or an LLC as a big, long process. But most states, you can actually file within 24 hours. So, you know, we've talked in a prior podcast about when you watch your business grow and you check back in with your accountant and say, oh, now it's time to incorporate. 
I mean, the, I've turned them around in 24 hours. You know, the usual time is a couple of business days. So when you're ready to go and you're ready to take this big step, you can do it quickly. So, you know, I, I don't think it's something we discuss too much, but I think it's important for everyone to know that you, you, know, you can turn these around quickly and get that thing going if it's uh, time to incorporate. Yeah. And that's a great comment because I think a lot of times, again, we talked about this with the sole prop. We talked about some of the disadvantages of incorporating. The disadvantages aren't as bad as people make them seem. And so a lot of people think, wow, we talked about this whole episode about setting up an LLC. That seems like a lot of work. It's really not. As long as you have a professional that's doing it for you. If you try to do this on your own and learn it all, you might spend some time trying to do this stuff. But you hire a professional, get it done with. Um, it's going to be done correctly. And, and like Andrew mentioned, it's a, it's a fairly quick turnaround. So, Andrew, I want to thank you for for jumping on another episode. Uh, just give us some contact information where people can reach out to. And again, I'll put this in the show notes as well. Sure. My website is andrewmayers.com. And if you go on any social media, look for Ayers Law, A-Y-E-R-S. LAW, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and it's got links in each of those profiles where you can find more information. And if you're getting ready to start your business and you're looking for steps on how to set it up, uh, check my website. There's a free resource called the Business Lifecycle that will go through a lot of what we talked to today. And uh, we can set up an appointment and talk about things further if you're ready to get going. Okay. Awesome. Andrew, thanks again for jumping on. Listeners, thanks again for, for coming to another episode. And I will see you guys next week. This has been another episode of the Small Business Tax Savings Podcast from the team at Jetro. If you enjoy our weekly episodes, please leave a review on whatever platform you listen to us on and share with other business owners. If you have any questions or future topics you want to hear, email them to tax at jetrotax.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.